Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, how you doing? Oh, blessed and highly favored, my brother. How about you? Yes, I'm doing fine. How's everything on your end? Hey, can't complain. God doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> You know, Brian, I was I was at work today and I was thinking, you know, a lot of our problems and a lot of our troubles that we think are troubles, you know, it comes by the with the way that we think and the way that we process things. You know, let me let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. If you are going through something, a lot of times we say, "Oh, the devil is at me and he's doing this and he's doing that." And a lot of times that's not what it is. God may be taking you to another level, and we're looking at it like it's all the devil. I think a lot of times what we do is we give the enemy so much credit. We, <laughs> give him, we just give him too much credit, and we destroy our own day. You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, when when people are out there and they do that, and you hear that all the time, you hear that, ah, the devil bitch. <laughs> oh, the devil made me do it. Oh, that must have been the devil in him. You know? It's like, the devil don't make you do nothing. And, you know, he works by three ways. And I've heard this so often, I've kept this with me. He works through thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. He's not physically making you do anything like pick that, you know, whatever you're doing up and do whatever with it. He's not doing that. That's right. All he's putting in your head is an idea, a thought, and a suggestion. Why don't you do this? Hey, wouldn't it be a good idea to rob a bank today? Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. You know, and then we just act on that. And you know what else, Brian? He will also kill dreams if you allow him to. Yeah. There's so many people out there that have books in them. But when they get to the point of writing it, they're listening to the wrong voice. They're listening to that voice that's saying, you can't do this. What makes you think you can write a book? What he's trying to do, he's trying to stop you from planting and sowing that seed into others. And I can tell you that our guest tonight, she's planting seeds. She's sowing those seeds. And you know what? It's coming back to her. But you know what? And the, I really believe that that's not the reason that she's sowing those seeds. You know, she's not looking for the reward. That's coming automatically anyway. And nothing can stop that. What they're trying to, what the enemy is trying to stop is her from planting those seeds. Because he knows that she's doing a lot of damage to his kingdom. So, Brian, you know, when you you see your friends, they're going through, do you have an encouraging word for them? Oh, absolutely. I tell them, you know, and I got, and a lot of stuff that I talk to people about, I actually got because somebody told me about it. Yeah. You know, I always had it hurt. You know, my mother used to say this. If you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. <laughs> you know? That's right. I tell them, just keep holding on. That's right. You know, hold on to God like my grandma. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. Now, I think everybody's grandmother said that once, at least once. <laughs> yeah. But, Brian, what about the ones that are looking at foreclosure? What about the ones that paperwork is being put in and they, they didn't know anything about it till they got home today? See, Somebody will serve with divorce papers today. Mm-hmm. Somebody received an, a, a bad report from the doctor telling them, you know, you only have about six months or three months left. 
So many men in, uh, out there right now are getting results saying that you have prostate cancer, you have this, you have that. See, it's so easy for us to accept that. But when somebody out there is saying, you know what, you're a blessed brother, you know, and, and, they, and they pray, they want to pray with you, and they want to give you that word of encouragement, you don't want to accept that. You mm-hmm. hear it and you deflect it. But when it's something negative, a lot of us will take it in and it just destroys us. Soak it in and sop it like a biscuit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and it's so funny you say that. I, I get a lot of emails where people will send me with inspirational stuff, and they'll say, you know, now don't, uh, they'll say something like, send this out like you do all those uh, dirty emails or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of times I'll read the email, and I'll delete it. Sometimes I'll send it. You know, it depends on how I feel about what I've read. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just we're so quick to see something. You know, a lot of market employees, I can remember back when I used to be in the music industry, and there was, uh, you know, everybody knows who Biggie Smalls is. Well, well, Notorious B.I.G. There was also a rapper named Craig Mack, and they came out about the same time, and uh Diddy, as he's known now, back then he was Puff Daddy. But he was promoting them. And he had this, this gimmick. And he said, everybody come get your free Big Mac. Come get your free Big Mac. And what it was, there was a, it was a tape. And the casing was like shaped like a foam Big Mac. And one side of the tape, you know, one tape was a Craig Mac song. And the other tape was a... Biggie Small, you know, and I thought that was really creative because when you heard that, come get your Big Mac, free Big Mac, everybody was running and, oh, we're getting free Big Mac, free Big Mac. So it's sort of that play on words. Well, that's what the devil does to you. He just gives you something that sounds like it's the best thing in the world, you know, and then you, and then you get all turned around when you find out it's not what you expected. Yeah. But you know what, though, Brian, I was reading our our guest. I was reading some of the excerpts of her book. I was reading some of the things that she's doing. Just like the words, you know, influenced a lot of them. Her words influenced me because what she's doing, she's representing life. You know, our guest, she's she's out there doing something. She's constantly. Every time I talk with her, she's either busy. I mean, she's just doing something for you know for the kingdom. And, and and by her doing that, she's seeking his face. She's constantly seeking his face, and she's just being moved from one level to the next level. But, Brian, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Go ahead and, and, and tell everybody who our guest is. Yes, tonight's guest is author Sherry Lewis. Well, first of all, tonight's show is entitled Let God. Let <laughs> God. You know, it was what Greg was talking about earlier about the person that's going through. Just let God. That's it. But our special guest is author Sherry Lewis, and I'm going to read you a little bit about Miss Lewis. She first she first authored a book at the age of six years old. Now that's a blessing. <laughs> yeah. But as I read that, I think about my own children, you know, and all the stuff they keep giving, handing me. Daddy read this. Daddy read that. You know. Um, it says she continued to enjoy writing short stories and poems throughout our young adult life. Her writing was put on hold while she attended Howard University as an undergrad. Howard Bison, ha-ha, we're going to talk a little bit about that. 
uh, and then at medical school at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. And she says, the writing bug bit again a few years ago, and pencil and crayon and construction paper were replaced by a laptop and printer. So she considers writing both a ministry and therapy. Hmm. Without any further ado, we present to you tonight, author Sherry Lewis. Sherry. There. Hi, I'm here. Good evening. Hi, Ms. Lewis. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Mm -hmm. Six years old. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I've always written. I used to lay out in the middle of the floor with my pencils and crayons and construction paper, and I thought I was writing a masterpiece at that time. Unfortunately, only my family really read it, but they they thought they were good. (laughs) (laughs) So for you to do that, that tells me that you're a happy little girl. Yeah. Oh, definitely. My parents gave us a great childhood. Just yeah, yeah definitely. I, I I noticed something that just jumped out at me. I noticed that you you're a staff physician at a um, correctional institute. Mm-hmm. I work at a, a Georgia State Prison as oh. the the women's doctor there. Oh, okay. You know what, Brian and I we go in jails, prisons, and detention centers speaking to people. And Wonderful. I, I, I tell you what. You, a, a lot of people you see prison on television, mm-hmm. it's a whole different ball game when you go in there if you're just going in to speak or you're going in to visit someone. It's a whole different ball game. It's a yeah. whole different world. And and all the more different if you work there every day. It really is. It's yeah, TV is, is very different from the reality of it. Yes, yes. But you know what? I, what I learned when I was going into the prisons, I was talking to the guys. Mm-hmm. The guys in there were freer than I were. Wow. When I came out of there, I, I realized that I had been living in bondage for so long. and I didn't, wow. I didn't even realize it. Wow. I didn't realize it. And the guys in there, they're just, they were just free. And, you know, some of them are looking at 200 years, 300-year mm. sentence. You know yeah. they'll never get out. Yeah, exactly. But, but for some reason, they're happy. Some of them are full of joy, and they know the word. Yeah, the absolutely. Ones exactly, I mean, the ones that I, I dealt with. So is that do you see a lot of that? I mean when you when you're in there I know you have an opportunity to minister to them. Right, right. I mean obviously a lot of the women are still in bondage and, and a lot of it is a revolving door where they leave and they get back into the same lifestyles and come back again. But I've met some very special women there that have found God and have found a true relationship with God, not just, you know, prison religion as they call it, but right. a true religion a true relationship with God where they just have this unexplainable joy and I mean one of them would put me to shame she used to clean my office and you know do the mopping and all that kind of stuff and she'd come in every day singing and would quote a scripture for me and just would be happy full of the joy of the Lord and I'd be grumbling or complaining about something silly and just hearing her sing and hearing her praise God and hearing her talk about the goodness of God while she's serving a life sentence would always just make me count my blessings and be grateful for the life that I have and just you know there's no reason for me to be stressed and upset and frustrated I could be in prison but I'm not. I have a good life, you know. And so she just would always make me see the goodness of God and the ability to say, no matter what, I can still praise, I can still sing, I can still feel the presence of God. So that's something that's always ministered to me that I always think of. Good, good. Yes. You know, I was thinking about, you know, what you said when the lady, when you said the lady came in and mm-hmm. she was happy. What do you think that joy comes from, I mean, because when you think about their situation, 
when you think about what they're going through, yeah, you know, where do you think they're finding joy? It has to be in the presence of God. I mean, it has to be. There's nothing else that could bring joy. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. My phone just died. <laughs> okay. There's nothing else that could bring joy in the midst of that kind of situation. And to me, to be able to find God in prison is is so amazing. I mean, somehow she just found him. I mean, she grew up saved and then, you know, got into some other things. And then when she got back, she just redeveloped her relationship with God and just, you know, spends a lot of time in prayer, spends a lot of time in worship, spends a lot of time in the Word. And there's just this core group of women that I've met like that. Um, My office backs up to the gym where where the choir practices, and there was one voice that I would always hear, this woman playing and singing, and it just would be the most beautiful sound. And, you know, I could go hear choirs anywhere, go hear the best singers all over the city or all over the, the nation, but there was something so beautiful about this woman singing praises in prison that just made it count all the more. So I think it's just intimacy with God and the decision that no matter what, I'm going to practice the presence of God, I'm going to live in the presence of God, and I'm going to praise Him no matter what situation I find myself in. You know what? I, I was going to ask you, it, when you're in your writing, do you think, um, I, I know you become um, someone else when you write. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like you're very passionate about that from the things that I've read. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's your intimate moment with God when you're writing? Uh, it's definitely a divine process because sometimes I go back over it and I'm like, wow, that's good. Wow, where'd that come from? And I just, <laughs> I really feel like God and me are doing this communion thing and just like, you know, <laughs> just like at the beginning where the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth and it was chaotic and there was darkness and then all of a sudden there was light and order and beauty. It's that same thing where the Holy Spirit is hovering over me and then we just create something beautiful. It's just, it's an awesome experience and Sometimes it's just surprising to me to see what comes out of it. Oh, wow, that is, that's profound. Like that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, Howard University. Oh, oh, well, we could spend the rest of the time talking about Howard. <laughs> well, you, you know why I brought it up. Well, you may not yet, but you will soon because I happen to go, I happen to be a graduate of a small school based in a North Florida town called Tallahassee. Okay. So you didn't go to Howard. I thought I thought the the emphaticness when you mentioned Howard University, you must have been an uh, an alumni, but I guess not. Oh, I've been a little bit of a rival. (laughs) Okay. I see. Well, we we shouldn't talk then because, you know, I don't, I don't want that side of me to come out. <laughs> no, no, it, it, I'm just teasing. Okay. No, but I actually had friends that attended Howard. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was it's it's amazing when you come from, uh, a, you know, predominantly black school or mm-hmm. a historically black institution, mm-hmm. most people... You know, because when, when I saw it, they said, oh, then you went to medical school at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, how how did you feel coming from Howard and then going on to medical school? You know, did it? Did, were you treated any differently? Oh, total culture shock. I mean, <laughs> it was total culture shock. I think the reason I went to an HBCU, I'd grown up as a Navy brat moving all over the place, and then when my dad got out of the Navy, we went back to Little Rock, Arkansas, which was, you know, kind of traumatic. I was in the fourth grade. I was called nigger for the first time. And just, 
you know, I know there's racism everywhere, but there was just a blatantness about it that I'd never experienced in my life. And so to go to Howard after having been there was just like this wonderful cocoon where I could be nurtured as an African-American and be celebrated and just enjoy this beautiful, uh, fantastical world where black people were on top and successful and just supporting one another, living, you know, loving one another and just... Just this beautiful, beautiful place. I can't say enough about how much I loved my experience at Howard. And then to go to University of Pennsylvania where there were 10 of us in, I can't remember how large my class was, but there were 10 of us, you know. But, I mean, uh, UPenn was great. I mean, it's a very liberal atmosphere, and so, it, you know, it wasn't like as bad as it could have been, I guess. But it still was, you know, going back into this world where I'm a minority again. So it was definitely culture shock. Hmm. You know, because I, I haven't experienced that. I haven't gone on to, like, grad school or anything mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, what I did experience coming to a historically black institution, it really prepared me for when I went out into the work, you know, into the Absolutely. workforce. And Absolutely. the experiences that I had along the way, you know, because I can recall back when my, um, I think it was my science teacher. Mm-hmm. She told me, she begged me not to go to a black school. Wow, wow. She said, don't do it. Wow. You won't get a good job. Oh, wow, no way. And (laughs) all I could think of was, well, such and such went and he's got a good job. Yeah, he's doing well, so why not, yeah. My friend's father, who's like head of of this university, and he went to Tuskegee and, you know, yeah, exactly. And I started thinking about all these people who had gone there. Yeah, I mean, I, I graduated Howard and went to an Ivy League medical school that at that time was number two in the country. So mm-hmm. it didn't hurt me one bit, you know. So, yeah. And it just, it was too wonderful of an experience to pass up. I just, you know, when I have kids, I just pray that they'll hear mommy's wisdom and want to go to an HBCU because I just, <laughs> I think it's a beautiful thing for um, a young African-American mind to be able to be shaped in such a safe and nurturing environment. You know, coming from the age, you know, from coming from the black college and going to the other college, mm-hmm. I, you know, you said there was only ten of you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, you had to pull from your foundation at some point. You know, Absolutely. the things that your mom and dad taught you. Yeah, I'm definitely. sure you had to pull from that, and and you explaining it. I know you can't explain it the, the way it felt, but as far as pulling from your foundation, you know, how hard or how difficult was it? Just being, just knowing that there was only ten of you there. Well, I mean, it wasn't that hard because, like I said, I grew up in this Navy environment, so we were always moving, always meeting new people, always being uprooted, and so I think that kind of puts a lot of resilience in you to begin with because you have to be able to make new friends, you have to be able to adapt to new environments, and then you know, at the high school where I was, it was, it was, you know, it wasn't obviously. 10 to 150, I think that was the number in my medical school class. But I was always in the advanced classes, and so there were fewer African Americans there. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of already my life. I think Howard was the bubble that was just so different. And then going to University of Pennsylvania was just like going back to, re- to real life, to reality. Yes, yeah, so you, you think a lot of that have, you know, helped in your writing, how you're able to switch characters and bring characters in. And, you know, in, in, and I read that what you, you can... Uh, have characters and I guess some experiences that you've had in your life and you can switch that and make it into a, 
uh, pretty much a book in itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mention that because when everyone reads um, reads the tagline for My Soul Cries Out, and they always I've been asked by so many people, perfect strangers, like, did this happen to you? And I'm like, no, it's fiction, you know. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you always draw from from real life. I think it's an, impossible for a writer not to draw from their own experiences and to draw from what they've been through. So, yeah, I think growing up in such a diverse, um, you know, just a wide range of places and experiences definitely adds to my writing. Yes, yes. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and we have on author Sherry Lewis. And, Sherry, let's talk a little bit about uh, the book. Okay. Tell us about the book My Soul Cries Out. Okay, My Soul Cries Out is the story of a woman who comes home to find her husband, who's the minister of music in their church, in bed with another man. And so, I mean, it's a real shocker. It's like, oh, wow, really? Wow. But it is a redemptive story. It is Christian fiction with a truly redemptive story. And by the end of the book, because it is Christian fiction, all things work for good. And, and the power of God and the glory of God is really displayed through the whole story. And she goes through a whole lot. And she really has to develop an intimate relationship with God in order to overcome everything that she goes through. And she just comes out a better person for it. And there's just a lot of other twists and turns in it. Um, she goes through a lot of health challenges. I always try to put something about health in my books just because, you know, me being a doctor and being so concerned about health in the African-American community, that's going to be a platform that I always stand on. And then I'm, I'm a worshiper at heart, so there's always going to be something about worship in any of my books. So. Yes, yes. Wow, that's a, whew, that yeah. is a strong I mean, just opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, when you said it, and naturally I thought another woman. When you said another man, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, that's what everybody does. Like, whoa, okay. Is, you know, and, <laughs> but, you know, it's important. I believe it's important yeah. to bring out the truth. Yeah. Because so many people hide behind, you know, lies. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's just been so interesting. Every time I tell somebody what it's about, they say, oh, that happened to my sister, my brother, my cousin, exactly. my this, my that. One woman said, oh, my God, that's happening in my life right now. Are you serious? That's what the book, And it's just unfortunately happening a lot mm -hmm. in, in the church and in the African-American community. And, 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 and the homosexuality issue is like the church's dirty little secret. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's whispered about. It's rumored about. It's gossiped about. But nobody comes out in the open and says, this is an issue. What are we going to do about it? What, you know, and and I, I just wanted to get it out there. wanted to be out with it, I guess. You know, I, it made me think about how in some churches you have, like, the best singer, and you don't really know if he's like that. Or you have someone who's, uh, a good cook, and but you don't really know if she's like that. But you hear <laughs> the rumors and the rumors, and as long as they're doing something that's benefiting, quote unquote, benefiting the body of Christ, it's kind of like pushed under the rug. Oh, yeah. he's the lead singer. Yeah. And if we lose him, oh, he's the minister of music. Yeah. You know, and that's oh, exactly what happens player. in the book, where the bishop yeah. just wants to say, hey, let's not shake the waters. I'll counsel you all in private. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. help you. I'll do whatever you need. But let's not let this come out in the open, because the church has been built on the back of, of this, of this uh, minister of music. I mean, the church has literally right. grown to 15,000 members. And so he's like, wait a minute. We don't want to shake that up. Right. You know, and, and, and I said all that to say, when does it become more important to cleanse the body of Christ. Yeah, exactly. Versus, to, you know, because some people will say, well, if you break up the church, then it's not going to help anything. Mm. You know, but 
I don't think God wants a corrupted church. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so wouldn't it be better to cut off that piece that, you know, that, that's not working for you here? Yeah. You know, I mean, not to say that you would completely cut them off, but I think the goal, you know, even though, I mean, this is fiction, but this is real life. This is right. reality. You know, I think the goal would be the reason you're coming to church is to be cleansed. Right. And so if you're still, if you're in church and you're still dirty and everybody's saying, oh, you know, sweep that dirt under the rug, you know, instead of cleaning the house. Right, right. Eventually that dirt under that rug is going to be so high that every time you step on it, it's going to flap up. <laughs> right. You know? Well, one thing I, I, I want to make really clear is that this is not a gay bashing book and it's not a let's single out the homosexuals and send them all to hell kind of book. Right. And one thing that I'm, a point that I make over and over that I'll make here uh, in answer to your point is, you know, we focus on that as the dirty sin, as the abomination sin, but we don't say anything about Oh, we do, but we make it so much a worse sin than fornication and adultery. There's even a scene where one of the girls said, you know, you can fornicate or you can lie or you can spend your tithe money on shoes, you know, but, but, but God, don't be a homosexual. And why do we make that so worse? Why is there a lower, hotter hell for the homosexuals and the rest of the people just go to, you know, the upper level of hell? And mm-hmm. I, really, I really think that that's part of the problem is that... Um, people struggling with this issue are so ostracized and so badly treated and judged by people who are walking in similar degrees of sin. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, this is just a little sin and this is a big bad sin. Sin is sin. And so I don't think we should pick out one segment or portion of the body of Christ and make them the black sheep and then let the rest of us feel okay about what we're doing because, oh, well, they're worse than that. They're homosexuals over there. And, and the church really doesn't have an answer. They don't have compassion. They don't have the love of God for this segment of the body of Christ that's, that's hurting and that needs the love of the rest of the body of Christ. You know, do you think at some point we're going to have to start doing things different in the church in the way, by the way that we handle situations like this? And what I, yeah, and what I mean is, you, you can't talk about this in the church. Don't bring that up. We'll talk about this in private. We understand that this is a, a, a something that the church is not happy about, so we'll just keep it to the side, and we really won't deal with it, but we'll deal with it the way we want to deal with it. Yeah, and that's part of the reason I wrote the book, is that you know I hope enough people that read it, that it becomes a discussion point, that people talk about it, and that we come together and come up with an answer. I don't want it to be a secret. I want it to be something people can talk about and, and deal with. Um, the main reason I chose this storyline was two things. Like I said, part of my writing is therapy, and so I was a Christian woman going through a divorce at the time, and I just needed to write about it. I was one of those people that grew up journaling. Anytime something bothered me, I'd grab my journal and write something down. And so, you know, I wanted to create a situation where the main character, no one in Christendom would question her right to get a divorce. So I said, okay, let me make him cheat. And I said, well, let me go one step further. Let me make him cheat with a man, and then nobody will say she can't get a divorce. And then I thought about several friends um, that I've known in the past, loved dearly, that have loved God with all their heart, that have been Christians, that have been, you know, in church right there with me, but they were struggling with their sexual identity. And nobody knew their story. Nobody talks about the struggle, the hell, the pain of, of having this homosexual issue, but yet loving God. And I think that once Christians are able to see it from the standpoint that it's not this horrible, demonic person, but it is a real-life person just like me and you with an issue. 
that we need to love and that we need to wrap our arms around and seek the mind and the heart of God to be able to reach out in love and help rather than to condemn and send them to hell. Yes, you know what? And that's something that, that happens a lot in the churches with when we have the young guys coming in or you have the, the young girls that are coming in and obviously some of them you can tell that, you know, they chose that, that lifestyle. And, and when they come in, they're just condemned at the front yeah. door. I mean, it's it's people are pointing some of some of the deacons or ushers or whatever they don't treat them right they, they right. kind of lash out at them and you know it's a bad thing when you, when the church hurts you exactly and i've i've several like one very very good friend has walked away from the church and walked away from god because of the way he was treated in church and that can't be the heart of god that can't be you can't tell me it is you know right right you know i remember um at my church at, at a church i used to attend actually where there was this gentleman, and he was on drugs. He was addicted, but he was getting off of it. Mm-hmm. And he could play the piano like nobody's business. Wow. He came to church one Sunday to play. And some of the mothers in the church literally chased him out of the door. Mm. And I couldn't believe because. At the time, I didn't know that he was on drugs. So, of course, you know, it, it, the reason I found out is because they were talking about it. Mm. You know, and they were like, you know, they treated him so bad. And, uh, and he came in and he played beautifully. Wow. He cried. He was happy where he was. The second week he came back, he played again. And, and I think maybe one or two of them confronted him. And they said to him, if I'm not mistaken, they said to him, we heard that you were still smoking crack. Mm. And I'd never seen him again. Oh, wow. And, the, you know, and the first thing I said when I heard them say that, I was like, why did y'all tell him that? Because he a crackhead. He's going to steal our stuff if we keep letting him come to church. Wow. I'm thinking, how was he ever going to get off crack if the folks in the church running him out of the church. Exactly. And they said, well, he need to get off that stuff first, and then he can come back to church. And I'm How like, are you supposed oh, to get off that no, stuff No, that's out. the reason he's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, in this one statement that a lady made, she said, well, he's did, he did this before. And I'm like, did what? He tried to come to God, and y'all ran him off. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, but the, the thing is, like Greg said, sometimes... Church hurt is the worst hurt. Absolutely. And Absolutely. for the most part, most church folks, and I, when I say church folks, I want to differentiate. They're believers, and then they're church folks. Yeah. <laughs> so some, so most church folks don't have a clue when they're messing up. Yeah. Because they don't have that. They're just church folks. They don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Right, exactly. To know. to And, and sadly, some of them, are ministering in our churches right now. Mm, it's you know? very true. Very true. And they don't have a clue. Some of them are deacons and elders and bishops even. And they look more at the bottom line of how many people can we get in church versus how many people can we get church into. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Exactly. But um, I, I'm reading here because, you know, when you, when you said earlier about, you know, some people look at, homosexuality as being a bigger sin mm-hmm. than 
maybe, you know, sleeping around mm-hmm. in, with a heterosexual or something like that. Or, you know, I'm reading Revelation 21, 8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers mm-hmm. and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, the first thing that I thought about was the fearful. Yeah. I'm like, wow. So even if you're just a little afraid of something, you know, because God said don't, you know, he didn't give you a a spirit of fear. So he's telling you, look, if you're afraid, (laughs) you might as well just pack your bag. Yeah, that'll knock a whole lot of people out of the box. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, in saying that, what do you believe, why do you think that most people use that and say, well, homosexuality, man, that's worse. Why do they call that, why why is that more of an abomination than lying? Hmm. Very interesting. I think it, it can be our own personal prejudices, and I think it's always, easy to point the finger at somebody else and make their sin worse, to make us feel better about ourselves. You know, even in writing this book, I had to get over a lot of my own prejudices concerning homosexuality, and I felt like God was really taking me to task, and he really changed my heart through writing the book, because I had a lot of issues and a lot of prejudices and a lot of just bad attitudes that I didn't even realize until until I started writing, and I was like, oh, that's yucky. And so... You know, I hope other people will do that, will look at their hearts and say, wow, my, my heart is not the heart of God about this issue. I think it's always easier to point the finger at somebody else and say, your sin is worse than mine, so I can't be that bad. Yeah. Go ahead, Greg, I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, well, you know, I, I was just looking over over a lot of your, your stuff in your book. This is this is genius stuff to me. <laughs> genius, <laughs> I, I mean, okay. <laughs> You sat there and you wrote this. I, I, God had to give you this to write. And, and, and one thing that you said to me that that a lot I think a lot of people really don't understand when you said all things works for the good. Now, if someone looking at this book at the beginning, they're going to say, are you crazy? How can this work for somebody's good? Yeah. How in the world? <laughs> you know, if somebody is, you know, so had this, has someone ever asked you that question about this book? Definitely, definitely they have. Um, and I don't want to give the ending away. So right, right. The answer is read the book. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, right. There we go, read the book. But, yeah, and it's interesting because I had written the book one way, or at least in my mind I decided how it was going to end, and I was telling my pastor about it, and he just really got upset with me, and he said, oh, I thought you were writing Christian fiction. Isn't that supposed to be redemptive? And if it is, then you need to do better. I was actually going to have um, Kevin, who is the, the man who was caught in homosexuality, I was going to have him commit suicide, or I was going to have him killed in a car accident. And my pastor said, that's not redemptive. And if that's the best God can do, then what are you saying about God? And he challenged me to go get the mind and the heart of God for the situation, for homosexuality in the church. And so... I went through a lot of prayer. I did a lot of searching on the Internet, and the ending even surprised me, I have to say. It really, where things ended up shocked me. And so, yeah, things did all turn out for good, and you have to read it to figure out what that means. (laughs) (laughs) My Soul Cries Out Mm -hmm. is the title of the book. Where can they get it? 
I know, I know it's on your website, but uh, um, it's, it's it's pretty widely distributed. It's at Barnes and Noble, Borders, Walmart, Books a Million, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Black Expression. Pretty much, it's it's pretty widely distributed. What what are you are you working on a new book now? I'm actually working on book number three. Book number two comes out in January, and that one's called Dance into Destiny, and that's just oh, that's my. That's my heart right there. That's all, that's all and then book number three, I'm, I've gotten three chapters written, and I'm, I'm trying to clear some time off my schedule so I can really dig into it and get into it. Wow. Where do you find the time to motivate yourself to write? Oh, writing is such a passion for me, and it's such therapy for me, so I make time to do it. It just makes me feel good. So I just, yeah, I just make time to do it. And it, it, it is harder now. I'm working full-time. I'm also... Marketing full time, which I never realized how much work that would be. Marketing my soul cries out, and so I have to just grab moments uh, to be able to write and just, you know, I, I love to write on my laptop just because I like the feel of the, the keys between beneath my fingers. But I always carry pen and paper with me no matter where I am, and if I have a little break, I'll sit, I'll sit and write a little bit. So it's just, it's it's a labor of love, and that yeah. makes it a whole a whole lot easier. You know what? When you're sleeping. It, does God ever wake you late late at night and you're trying to go to sleep and he's trying to give you something and you can't go to sleep until you write it down? Have you ever experienced Early that? Early in the morning, 3 yeah. o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, I'll just sit straight up in bed and just run to the laptop. I can't get it on quick enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think he wakes all of us up. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely going to get his time with us, I'll tell you that. Well, you know what? Now, let me ask you this. For people that are trying to write a book, it's their dream to write a book, mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the things that stop them from doing it? It takes a lot of discipline to write a book. It really, really does because it, it takes a long time, and it takes you sticking with it and really being committed to the process. I meet a lot of want-to-be writers. Well, no, I'll say want-to-be authors, people that are writers that want to become authors. And a lot of them don't have the discipline to carry the process through. They, they don't make time to write, and that makes all the difference in the world. So, you know, there are some people that just don't ever finish, and then there are people that don't perfect their craft. And I think that was one of the most important things that I learned is that, you know, it's one thing to be gifted to write a story, but it really takes skill and it takes um, an understanding of the craft of writing to be able to write a good book. Both of my books have been edited, I'd say, at least a hundred times. I mean, I've read them over and over, changing this, changing that, changing this, changing that, because I wanted to put out the best book possible. And people have been shocked, like, this is your first book? And it's it's just because it took so long to get a deal that I just had all this time to just keep editing it and fixing it and fixing it. And so two things I would say to writers, make time to write. And secondly, perfect the craft. Read writing books. Um, and I've got several great writing books listed on my website because I've read a lot of people's stuff that you can tell that they, you know, they have the gift of story, but they don't perfect their craft, and so it doesn't come across well. And this is people that I've read, you know, they just email me their stuff, or even some books that are out there on the shelf on sale that are just not the best book they can be because the writer hasn't taken time to perfect their craft. Mm. Now, Sherry, you have another book out with a couple of other authors. Oh, that's right, Midnight Clear. It's a short story. I always forget to mention that. Um, it, was, it was an anthology of uh, Christian fiction writers, 
and it's a Christmas anthology. So we all um, gave Christmas stories, short stories, and it was really a beautiful, uh, a beautiful idea. Kendra Norman Bellamy is one that I consider just uh, uh, a real, um, a real leader in Christian fiction. She's got, I think, either nine or ten books out, novels, Christian fiction novels, and she wanted to introduce new up-and-coming writers to the world. And so she gathered herself and three other established Christian fiction writers. Tia McCullers, Stacey Hawkins Adams, and Patricia Haley. And they all wrote stories. And then she picked, um, I think it was 18 of us, up-and-coming authors so that we could get a chance to have a work of fiction published. And so it was just really a great project. And um, published it last Christmas, and, and a lot of people really enjoyed it. Terry, oh, okay. do you offer any type of workshops or seminars for, for people that's trying to get into business? Not yet. That's something I hope to do, but that I won't be able to do until I'm no longer working my full-time job. But that's something I definitely hope to do. I love to teach writing, and um, I actually, myself and uh, Tia McCullers, who's an essence best-selling Christian fiction author, started a writing group here, a Christian fiction writing group here in Atlanta. And so there's ten of us that get together and we write and critique and talk about the craft, talk about craft books. And then I have some other people that I've met online that I've um, critiqued a lot of their work and, you know, given suggestions. I'm not, that, not that I'm a master or anything. I'm still learning and still working to perfect my craft. But just the things that I've learned I like to pass along. So one day I hope to be able to, to teach, you know, there's a lot of writing workshops that I'm going to be doing next year where I'll be teaching a workshop, but not, you know, not my own symposium. Yet. Right, right. Have you ever thought about maybe doing that in the prison? They actually have a creative writing class, um, but as the doctor, they have limitations. Like, I'd love to teach Bible study there, but I can't. I'd love to teach the creating writer class, but I can't. They have, you know, a lot of restrictions on um, on, on crossing lines, basically. So right. maybe when I leave, which, you know, I don't know, whenever the Lord says so, when I leave, I'll come back and teach creative writing and Bible study. Oh, okay. Have you felt the nudge yet? <laughs> Say that again? Have you felt that nudge that, uh, you know, a lot of people say they can feel it pulling that tugging at them to go ahead and leave their job, leave their job, step out on faith. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's difficult balancing everything, but at the same time, I really enjoy ministering to my women, and I know that it's it's just broadened my horizons and deepened me as a Christian, as a writer, as a minister. It is just really... Oh, it's just added so much to me. So I don't want to jump and leave before the time just right. because I feel like I'm a blessing to them and they're also a blessing to me. I've learned so much about life. So, you know, I don't want to run out of there and just, you know, quit my job by faith. Um, but, I mean, eventually I would really love to move toward full-time writing, full-time ministry, that kind of thing. Yes. Let's go back to the book. You know, I'm 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 reading the uh, excerpt that you have on your on your um, website, mm -hmm. and it's kind of, you know, as I read it, I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little kind of not really racy. It's racy. <laughs> it's racy. You know, I don't want to call it racy, but. Edgy. It's, it's edgy Christian fiction, and I think that's part of what took me so long to get a deal is that I love to push the envelope. I really right. do. You know, because I'm thinking, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's interesting. I, one of the best, I've gotten emails from so many people. It's been so encouraging. One of the best emails that I got was a woman saying, 
wow, we were right there in the bedroom with you, the opening yes. in the bedroom. She says, we were right there with you, feeling your anger, feeling your pain, crying your tears. And I just wanted to make it real. I didn't want it to be cutesy, cutesy, Christian, Christian. I wanted it to be real, and I wanted it to display the real emotions, you know. I mean, yes, we're saved, yes, we're Christians, but push the wrong buttons and, you know, there <laughs> some other stuff might come out, so... I just wanted to, to be real about the situation. That's one thing that frustrates me about some Christian fiction is that I read it and I'm like, that would never happen, please. She would pick up a knife, okay? So I just try to keep it real. My character didn't pick up a knife, but she picked up a golf club, you know? Right. When, you were, when, I, when I read the excerpts of your book, mm-hmm. the, the one that, that's out now, the My Soul Cries Out, mm-hmm. wow, the, the husband, the, the way this thing is written People are walking in on that every single day. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, they're starting to come in. And I think what your book is, I think your book is will help a lot of people heal. I hope so. That's I, I really fair. do believe that. Yeah, I've, I've gotten I've gotten emails from people who have struggled with their sexual identity that said one woman said she cried through the whole book and that just that meant everything to me that she was able to be ministered to through it and then there have been people that have not struggled with homosexuality at all but they identified with the health struggles uh, of the main character or they identified with you know, your heart being broken and being betrayed just to the depths of your being and learning how to dig into God and to develop that intimate relationship with God to be able to come back from that. There's another uh, character who is not saved through most of the book, and through watching the main character's growth and relationship with God, she gets saved by the end of the book. And I've had a lot of my my women patients, my prisoners, to come to me and say, wow, that really makes me want to get my life together. So... I really hope that it is touching people and, and changing their lives. And you know, there, there's married women out there right now that's, that are listening to this and they've probably gone through that. Mm-hmm. There is still hope for their marriage. Now, it's tough. Yeah. It's, ooh, it's tough. It's tough <laughs> to, to walk in on something like that and to yeah. say, I'm going to stay in this yeah. marriage. It can work. Um, God is able. If I just let God do his thing, I'll be okay. But it's hard to try to tell a woman to stay there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like I said, having gone through a divorce myself, I think, you know, one thing in ministry, I teach women's Bible study, and uh, I really have a heart for ministering to women. And one thing that I practice is, is transparency. I figure... Any trial that I've been through, not only was it to make me stronger, but it's also to minister to another woman. And so I'm very transparent with my pain and with my experiences and with things that I've gone through. And so anything I write is going to be raw. It's just going to be straight out there. This is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. And even though, you know, even though I didn't go through that experience, I did go through the pain of a divorce and the pain of betrayal. And so I put all that in there. And so I know that it's got to be catching some woman's heart who's going through the same thing just because I bared so much of my heart and my pain throughout the whole experience, throughout the book. I know you haven't ruled out getting married again, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I would love to get married again. Okay, I just, just <laughs> <laughs> Brian? Oh, boy. Hey, one day we're we're waiting on the Lord. We're waiting. I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> expecting that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Almost every time I get I do an interview, I get that question, so I've gotten used to it. <laughs> good, good. You know, I, uh, when you said earlier how 
the person that uh, wrote you said they felt like they were right in the room. Mm-hmm. That's the exact same feeling I, I had when I started to read it. And I'm thinking like, wow, you know. And, I mean, that's just what's so awesome about your book. Thank you. It it brings the person into the book. Thank yeah, you. It, it really does. They can actually feel what's going on. Wow, that's the greatest compliment you can give a writer. Thank you so much. No. <laughs> Studying craft books for four years, trying to get a deal, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, I got mad when I didn't have the book in my hand after I read the excerpts. Yeah. Wow. And you know, men, we don't want to read stuff like you Yeah, know. most men don't read fiction, and they definitely don't want to read fiction about homosexuality. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was different, though. It, it's, it's, it's something different about it. You want to... I don't know when when you read when you read the excerpts of people that go to your website sherrylewis dot com and you read the excerpts of that book, it's like, are you kidding me? Are you teasing me with this? <laughs> it you is know, a tease. Want, I've been want, told, oh, you're wrong for that because I, I put enough tension and enough suspense on the excerpt on the on the on the website that you know you got to go out and get the book. It's marketing, good marketing. <laughs> yes, it was. It, it, it definitely was. And just like Brian said, it's it's almost like being in a room and. I don't want to be in the room to see that, but it's like it puts you, you know. It, it, I'm like, I can see that happening. You know, uh, it just just seems so real. You know, the 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 one part that got me when it says, "I paced around the bedroom." I can see it. Help me, Jesus! Help me not to kill him. Help me not to go down to the kitchen and get a knife and gut him. I can see that. I can, you know, it sounds like a movie. You know, I'm plugging the movie now. Oh wow! Okay, like I received that. I received oh, yeah. that. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I would that love. Sounds it. like. A, I mean, I can literally see that in a movie, like waiting to exhale too, or something like. That. You know what I mean? <laughs> My soul cries out. Okay, I received that. I received we need to get. That. We need to go and get that, that, that <laughs> out there because I'm serious. That is, wow. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have it turned into a movie. I don't. I don't know what the process is. I'm just. I'm just telling God, do what you got to do, Jesus. Do what you got to do. <laughs> do you have this book in an audio format? No, I don't. A lot of people have, have recommended that as well. So yeah. it just came out. I, I want to get my numbers and see how it's looking and see what the demand would be like, and, and hopefully that's something I can look forward to doing. Well, I, I can almost guarantee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this one's going to be a bestseller. Thank yes. you. I received that. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. I mean. Like like Greg said, most guys you won't you won't you know catch them dead with a book. Right, you not know, fiction anyway. Not not like especially a Christian novel, Christian yeah. fiction, stuff like that. You know. Yeah. But but this is oh, wow. This is this this really you know it brings you in. Thank you. Thank you know, I mean, I'm getting excited, and I read a lot, so I'm a reader. Okay. And okay. you know, I could actually, I could I could find myself reading this. Wow. Okay. You know. And 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 just getting excited about it, you know, about wow, you know. And it's not just that. I'm not just saying that because I have we have you and we're interviewing you. Right. I'm just saying just by reading the excerpt, it. This is good stuff. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Really I really do. I really do. I, I, you know what? From reading, if anybody goes to your website, you have a page on there for writers. It's like you're giving them advice. Yeah. You're trying to help them. And I think that's a beautiful thing that you're sharing your past hurts. Yeah. And some things you're probably still healing from. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of I know a lot of women that are that have dealt with divorce and they feel some of them feel like their their Adam is just not coming. 
But this, you know, your your, your entire page is it just reminds me of life. Hmm. Live, do you know? Go out and just live your dreams. Yeah, exactly. that's that's what I get from your your web page because if you you know most web pages they tell a story when you when you look at it, and uh, it's just an inspiring um, website. And I'll tell anybody anybody to please go look at your website. It's, it's SherryLewis dot com, and just just you being you, and like I said, sharing your your past hurts. Yeah, uh, that's going to touch a lot of people. I hope so. I hope so. It makes it it makes it a lot uh, more worthwhile having gone through it if it can help someone else. Well, it's it's definitely going to help some people. We're definitely going to do everything we can to uh, put it out there. Thank you. I appreciate so it. Just go to it and, and 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 look for that Adam and and look to write their book and just achieve their dreams. Yeah. And you know, for you to be a book writer, how important is it to be organized? To be organized, oh, my goodness, it's like the most important thing in the world, especially with, like I said, working full-time and marketing and all that. It's just, it's a complete and total necessity to be organized and to be able to manage time. Yeah, yeah. So if someone wanted you to come and speak to them about you, maybe your book or just in general, like do you do... Uh, do you do speaking engagement? Absolutely. I love I love public speaking. I just got through this past weekend doing a women's conference in um, Little Rock, Arkansas, and I taught a workshop on divorce, and uh, it was just really, oh, it was beautiful. So I love to do public speaking, love to minister to women, um, and all groups, especially young people as well. My next book is more focused on youth, and so love speaking to women, love speaking to teens, young people, young adults. You know, you just said something about about the divorces. What are some of the points? I don't want you to give everything away, but so what? What what's your focus on your divorce um, when, when you go speak? What what is your focus on that? Um, the main thing is making it through the stages of divorce. I talk about all the different stages where marriage on the rocks, and then when a person finally comes to the decision, okay, I'm going to do this. The legal process that's involved, and then the aftermath. Right after you get the divorce, after the you know you've moved, you signed the final papers, and then you look up and oh my God, I'm divorced. My whole life is different. And then starting the healing process. It's the most important thing in the world to stop, get into God, worship, do whatever's necessary to heal. Because if you don't, you'll be filled with bitterness, be filled with wounds and yuckiness, and never be able to love again, never be able to go on with life, be no use to children or, or, or whatever. You know, if you don't do that important recovery phase, you can never live a full, healthy life. And then you know, putting the pieces back together, getting rid of old baggage, and then the last part of it is to love again, whether after divorce one is able to heal sufficiently to where they can have a healthy relationship afterwards. Mm, yeah. And it, it, was, it was a beautiful time that we had this past week, and there were three women in the class that just cried through the whole thing because, like I said, I like to be transparent. I share my experiences. I share my pain. And then I also share... My the things I learned about being intimate with God in order to become healed, in order to overcome wounds and bitterness. I talk about sitting in the floor and crying and worshiping and, and what it is to cry yourself to sleep every night, to learn how to cry and worship at the same time, to to be able to, to just lay in God's arms and let him make it all better. So I just, you know, I really get to the deep down root of the matter and just deal with the heart wounding and the heart uh, experience that happens through divorce. It is one of the most heart-wrenching things that can ever happen, and it takes a lot to come back from that. But they can come back. Absolutely. I'm a living witness. <laughs> awesome. Wow. 
you know, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, wow. I mean, my soul's been blessed already. Just, well, thank you. Just from reading just the excerpts of the book. You know, because I can see, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I see where they've gone through. Yeah. You know, I've seen where they've had to experience something like this. You know, I actually work in um, in the HIV AIDS field as well. Wow, okay. And so um, I actually talk to and I, I've counseled, you know, homosexuals, straight people, bisexuals, transgender, you know, and, you know, like you were saying before, it, it took you some time to get over some of your, yeah. you know, issues as you were writing the book, you know, some of the, the things that you, you know, some of the feelings that you had about homosexuality, mm-hmm. and it, me, myself, it took me a while to get over some of the issues that I had concerning homosexuality, yeah. you know, I still believe it's a sin, just like every other sin, you know, um, and, you know, from that standpoint, I think it's important that we, that we not, you know, demonize them. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we have to also, you know, let them know that sin is a sin. Yeah. You know, but even with that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, like, on the download. That's what we that's what right. this is about. Basically about a download brother that's in the church and he's married. Right. You know? And see there are a lot of people out there that are, that are going through that. There are a lot of people out there that have been through that and they've kept silent. Yeah, exactly. You know, they've they've they haven't really revealed it. And I think that this book will be something that could help them possibly bridge the gap. I hope so. I really hope so. I'm sure. I'm I'm sure it will. I see this as being a movie. Yeah. This could easily be a movie. Okay. Break. We're gonna have to find somebody to uh, to to get this script going. Okay, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Yes, yes. I tell you what, Sherry. Our our goal on this show is to help others be more and do more and have more. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing. You're you're actually living that. You're you're in action. I love that. I just love your attitude towards the thing, the way that you're attacking your dreams, the way that you're doing the things that you do in the jails and the prisons and in your books, in your seminars and workshops. It it's it, I just love the way that you're helping people. Everything everything that you're doing is about helping people. You know, you went to medical school and now you're you're, you're doing something to try to help put somebody back together. Yeah. And then you go off into the, give your presentation about divorces. You're trying to put pieces back together. And for you to be able to do that, that tells me that you had to have suffered and you had to qualify mm. to be able to minister to the people that you're ministering to right now. And at the time that you were going through your, 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 your valley, and those low times in your life, it was also done just for this moment that you're going through right now. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I would say that all the time, too. I would say, wow, wherever I'm going must be really, really great because this is some horribleness, so it must be great. Yeah. And it sounds like you've already just let God, and that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. That's a beautiful thing. Again, we thank you so much for coming on the show and blessing us all. And we just, you, just, you know, we just... Just, just hope and pray that you continue doing what you're doing, and please continue blessing others. I will. Thank you so much. It was such a blessing to talk to you all. Yes. 
Thank you so much. And for those that are listening, we'll see you on Monday. Good night.